I still haven't got the hang of how loud it is over the internet. I have a sense of how loud it is in my headphones. Right. It often doesn't translate. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Sprocket Podcast, where we are simplifying the good life. I'm Aaron Flores. And I'm Joan Pettit, broadcasting from our homes in the People's Republic of Portland, nestled in the heart of Cascadia. This is the show where we bring you somewhat irreverent conversations about the intricacies of thinking locally with a global perspective and enjoying the best that life has to offer along the way. Covering bicycling, trains and transit, adventures and life hacks. And today, the bicycling poet, Caroline Burroughs. Well, hello, Caroline. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. It's nice to meet you. So you are currently in, well, I guess where you've been for a while, <laughs> you are in Bristol in the yeah. United Kingdom, right? Yeah, on the southwest coast of England in the UK. I've not been here, as, I've been here about two and a half months. Um, so I have moved from the northwest of England, Lancaster, down to Bristol on the southwest. So it's just as wet, it's just about two degrees warmer than the north of England, so... It's a good time a to move. De- a couple degrees warmer can make a big difference. This yeah. <laughs> yeah. As soon as you uh, said like a couple degrees warmer, I was I was like, oh, I wish it could be a couple degrees warmer over here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's not even that cold. I don't know how well you know Portland, but we are certainly uh, known for our wet weather, especially yeah, yeah. this time of year. So we've been uh, doing any bicycling we've been doing is often in the rain. Um, yeah, I've got um, two sets of waterproofs drying out in front of a fire at the moment from last night and today. So, yeah, it's pretty soggy here too. So even your even your secondary pairs. Yeah. <laughs> <It's all> yeah. <laughs> I never thought of having two pairs of waterproof. That makes that makes a lot of sense if you can do that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it feels a bit tragic. I mean, one one's a pair of Shimano um, Gore-Tex boots, and they managed to get waterlogged yesterday, so oh. it's been chucking it down pretty well here. So, yeah. I had um, a few years ago. It's it's since broken, but I had a like a boot dryer that I would put my shoes on when they got wet after riding my bike, and that was fantastic. That that felt it wasn't even that expensive of an implement, but it felt luxurious. Oh. I don't know how you would carry it on a tour. <laughs> it was well, like no, a we're, we're not going on tour at the moment, really. So well, that's fine, but I've managed to destroy a few hair dryers trying to drive it <laughs> and the fuse is gone. So that sounds better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like a low, it's like a low sort of warm airflow, just sort of wafting up through these things. And then you set your shoes on top. Um, so, so it, it's not super hot, but it, yeah. it, it's a little more air than you'd get just setting them on the vent or next to the, next to the fireplace. Although a fireplace sounds cozy too. Yeah. Yeah. Anything, anything will do, but better than a hairdryer, like I said. So, um, 
So can you talk a little bit about the kind of touring? I know that, you know, things have been um, different the past several months, but can you talk about um, some of the touring that you've done over, I think, what the past several years, the places you've gone, some of the fa- your favorite sites, how long you usually go for, that kind of thing? Yeah, sure. So um, I went on to recently actually I have managed to get a, a tour in this year but it was a very short sort of local tour because um, it was in between lockdowns and I seem to be out riding lockdowns but um, what I've been doing the last few years is going on tours that are sort of based on literature or poetry locations and kind of almost like virtual reality in my head immersing myself in in books or poems that I like and go into the places where the poets wrote about or where they were from. So I did a tour um, a few years ago, um, which I've given as a talk at the UK Cycling Touring Festival that we have over here. And that was, um, I called that a literary cycling tour of the north of England uh, from Jane Eyre to Dracula. So I went and visited Ah. all these locations from books I'd had to read when I was an undergrad student. Um, so it was uh, Jane Eyre and the Bronte sisters in the sort of wild landscape of um, Bronte country. So seeing where Heathcliff would have been out being miserable and driving people insane and Dracula's over on the coast of Whitby. So that was that was a sort of a week long tour trying to get it was over the Pennines, which is known as the backbone of England. So it was quite hilly, but just trying to visit these visiting a lot of graves as well I'm a bit of a you can take the goth out the teenager but not complete, completely so I was visiting a lot of graveyards to see where dead poets or writers had been so that was a recent tour and then last year back in the halcyon days before Covid I went on a bike tour to do with a World War One poet called Wilfred Owen um, so I visited places in the UK where he'd been born or where he'd gone to school and he died a week before World War One ended in battle, so he's got quite a poignant story. So that was that was quite good for me actually, because normally I just know him from his World War One poetry and sort of cycling around where he grew up and where his dad had worked on the train, sort of made him a sort of well-rounded figure for me instead of just the sort of tragic World War One poet. So. That's sort of what I've been leaning towards more recently. But in the past, I went on longer tours when I was a bit younger. I took my bike to Argentina for three months. Um, I went to language schools first for a few weeks to try and understand directions when they were given back to me when I was lost. Um, so that was, an, <laughs> that was an exciting adventure because I'd never really gone off on my own properly like that before and I went over to Mexico with a friend for a couple of weeks and then part of it was with a a Canadian bike tour group called Bike Mexico. Um, I was on a bit of a Che Guevara uh, route finder there. I was sort of finding in Argentina where he'd lived and then in Mexico where they'd sailed the boat over to Cuba and I went over to Cuba another time as well. So that was interesting. Um, So either it's usually kind of historical or literary or um, sort of poetry driven. So the bike's the tool to get me to the places when I'm out on tour. Oh, that's, yeah. yeah, this is fantastic. I was, I was just thinking of how rich that makes the touring experience that, that, um, 
because then you're, yeah, you're sort of almost immersing yourself because by, by bike, you can just see so much more than if you were, you know, driving along at a faster pace. And, um, and maybe with some of these writers going a little slower is probably more along the lines of how they would have been moving through the same countryside and area. Yeah. Especially for like the, the Bronte sisters. So Jane Eyre and Wuthering Heights, for example, a lot of the, um, landscape features heavily in the books and it's it is wild and windswept and heaths and moors and dramatic dramatic scenery but also dramatic weather a lot of the time it is quite hard and it comes through in the books so it was interesting cycling around and sometimes I'd be you know complaining about the weather in the hills and then I'd sort of think about you know mid-1800s um, the Bronte sisters all sort of died before they hit 30 to 45. They, they all um, had uh, tuberculosis. So their lives were really hard. So it kind of, it was an insight into life a little bit, what it might have been like for them, plus seeing the scenery for real and then having read it in the books. It was just, like I said, it was a bit like virtual reality because I'm cycling along and thinking about... Uh, Jane Eyre sort of traipsing across the moors to to get away from Rochester before she goes back to him and I think about the Kate Bush song um, Wuthering Heights as well and it's just really, I just find it really interesting and like you say, if you're going slower on the bike people are, people are generally quite interested to talk and chat away if you're on a bike especially on my own I find I seem to speak to a lot of pensioners who used to cycle. They 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 like to have a chat, and it's just lovely because then people tell you about other things to do with the area and shortcuts or books they've read, like the Wilfred Owen tour. The amount of people that just sort of seem to have a little spark when I mentioned Wilfred Owen, and they'd uh, chat away and tell me other places associated with them or what poem they'd had at school. So it's just a really, cycling's a lovely community anyway. And then combined with sort of, these are like classic novels, I suppose, that a lot of people might have seen a film or read the book of. It just it just opens up conversation, which I just found really rewarding being off on my own on my bike. You know, I was never really on my own because I was either with dead poets and writers in my head or I was talking to people about them when I got places. So it's just quite... Yeah, I'm never kind of bored, really. So it's good. Yeah, and do you find and do you um, before you go on these tours, do you are you reading? Are you sort of rereading some of these works beforehand, or are you reading them along the way? Uh, usually, the idea for a tour will come because I've read something, and then on tour I'll take a I'll take a sort of ebook with me with the, with the books on to read along the way. Or if it's poetry, I can just find it on my phone a lot of the time because, like, Wilfred Owen's from the First World War, so it's all a lot of that's online. Or um, some of the books are out of copyright now, so it'll be on Project um, Gutenberg, like the Bronte Sisters. So I don't need to carry all the books with me. Um, I have done things like that in the past. It's a bit. Uh, that's not a good idea on a tour. Um, <laughs> so I'll, I'll generally have read stuff beforehand and then I'll read additional things along the way. I, um, the tour I did just in between lockdowns uh, near the end of September here, just before I moved away from Lancaster, the north, there's um, 
I think like in the in the USA, you had the Salem witch trials, and over here we had something similar uh, in 1612. Um, there was a load of women and men that were tried as witches and hung, executed, and it was the largest number that that happened to at one time. Um, and they're known as the Lancashire Witches. So the former poet laureate had been commissioned in 2012 to write 10 poetry stones, one for each of the people hung in Lancaster, um, to, to write a poem that commemorated what happened and try and remember them. Because it was usually... Uh, most often it would be women that were poor and would be sort of scapegoated for st- um, livestock dying or people dying in around the 16th, 17th century when witchcraft was a bona fide crime. Um, so there are 10 poetry stones across the sort of 50-mile route. These people were made to walk from their homes to then go and stand trial, well, await trial in Lancaster Jail, which is the castle, and then they were taken to trial and then they were hung. So there's a verse of poetry each of the ten stones on this 50-mile route, and again, it's over hills and heathlands, and it's quite dramatic and hard-going scenery. Um, And there's also a name for each person on each poetry stone, so I managed to do a bike tour of that, and um, I did it over four days, three nights, and I was never 50 miles from home, so I could get back if lockdown suddenly happened again, because lockdowns keep happening just sort of with immediate effect down here, so I planned out this route to not be too far from home, but it was into some quite isolated um, landscape with nobody around again, so... That that was that was good because I didn't know all the history. I was finding it out more as I went along, and I thought the fact that these poetry stones had been installed was along the walking route was a really interesting thing to do to try and engage people with the landscape and the history and poetry. So that was right up my street, really. Yeah, and I I I really like the idea of what you're saying is, you know, because sometimes you're uh might be riding your bike along and feeling a little sorry for yourself if it's gonna be <laughs> rainy or gusty. Yeah. And thinking about uh what it must have been like uh, you know, before performance fabric. <laughs> before <laughs> um and, and thinking about going through the mud and all of that. Um, what a, yeah, what a dramatic way to explore, I mean, your own area even. Yeah. And again, again, it's, it's kind of, if it hadn't been lockdown or in between lockdowns, I would have probably been trying to go off somewhere a bit further afield on my bike. So, I mean, the pandemic's awful, but on, on the other hand, it's, everyone has been sort of finding more out about the local area because only being able to go out for little walks or rides in between, you know, when it's not being the strictest lockdown. So on, it's like people still find ways to have adventures, whether they're many adventures or big ones, you know, it's, uh, there's, there's always something to see or find out about in the history or location or. Well, yeah. And I think it's, um, Right. I think, I mean, obviously the pandemic is, you know, been full of tragedy and loss, but I also think it's good to be able to say maybe there are some good things that can come out of this and, um, you know, exploring our own neighborhoods, taking maybe having more time with, um, you know, getting to know our neighbors a little better, 
that that mm-hmm. sort of thing might be one of the things. So, so can we? I, I'm just really curious. Um, did you uh, grow up? bicycling or did you have a bicycling family or did you do uh, because the idea of you said your your first big bike tour was three months in Argentina on your own was that your first big tour because that well that was kind of so uh, that was the first big tour on my own before that I'd gone on the group ride I'd gone on an organized group ride in Cuba and um, the first one I ever did on my own properly was uh, instead of the Tour de France, I called it the Tour de Family, because I don't know if you can tell from my accent, but it's it's a bit Scottish sounding because I am a bit Scottish. And um, but my family's mostly English. I was born up there, sort of by default. And um, so I've got family that scattered all across the country, basically. And I used to live in London, so the first tour just to kind of, I suppose, be confident was me visiting far-flung relatives that I hadn't seen for a long time or not seen since I was a kid and just sort of making my way from London up to Glasgow over about two weeks um, and just visiting family all up on the way just about so apart from a couple of nights so that was really that was really good because it kind of connected family together that were quite disparate that was um, that was maybe about 15 years ago but my my granddad um my granddad was quite a big influence. He always rode a bike. He was a really keen cyclist and always tinkering about with a bike. So if I would visit him on my bike, I'd kind of have to be prepared that he'd probably dismantle it and put it back together before I'd even got up in the morning because he was an early riser. And um, he used to go cycle tour and, and take his tent with him and he'd go over to France and around the UK and he was a member of the cycling clubs here um, so he was always he'd kind of keep me quiet when I'd visit him by giving me cycling mags to read as well when I was a bit younger um, so he was a really sort of big influence in that and just they just normalised cycling I suppose he passed away um, during the first lockdown so I'm just really oh I'm so sorry about that uh, it's, he 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 was ninety three, so um, and he died at home. He died at home peacefully, so that's that was good. But for him, you know, as good as it can be, really. But um, I'm just lucky that he was my granddad, really. I think because he was yeah. just a, just a good, chirpy, happy man that was quite inspiring and a good role model. Um, and then as a kid, my, my dad was in the Navy, and uh, but he would come out of the Navy and go back in. And uh, he worked at rally bikes for a while in Nottingham. So I remember him having, I remember him and his adult bike and me sitting on the back of the bike in the little kid's seat in the 70s. And I remember getting my first bike with the stabilizers. And so I grew up, I was born in 73, so I grew up in the, you know, as a kid in the late 70s, early 80s. I remember we just used to get sort of chucked out the front door to go and ride our bikes around the streets when we were kids. We'd just be out for hours. It was, there were fewer cars, but, you know, it was just a bit more relaxed, I suppose, then. But that's one of my sort of memories is always sort of being out on my bike as a kid. And the same as a teenager, having a bike in Scotland, cycling to my friend's house and back and, old disused railways as bike paths up near my village in Scotland. So it's just always, I've never had a car 
I've just always ridden a bike and it just seems normal, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, I, 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 um, we're the same age and I mm-hmm. remember exactly that just, you know, cruising around on my bike in the neighborhood all day. Cause you know, <laughs> and then my mom would ring the bell. <laughs> she had this big loud <laughs> bell when she wanted us to come home to dinner. Um, and you know, often I'd be too far away to hear the bell. So, yeah. Um, so, wow, that's amazing. So when you, so if your grandfather was, 93 so when would he have been doing these tours um i don't know i mean i just he was always he'd always he had his bike set up in the shed along with an organ that he used to go out to the shed and play which i used to think Ah, was hilarious for the neighbors that he would you know my nan would be cooking and my granddad be out in the shed either tinkering on his bike or playing this sort of wireless music on the organ um but he would show me photos of him going on his bike tours. A lot of the time, he was he served in World War Two. Um, he got sent out to India, so he would go off to France on tours to go and see the history of World War Two on the bikes. And also, I've got this great photo of him on a tandem my nan didn't really like cycling but she did try it to begin with because my granddad was mad about cycling so i've got this photo of a of them on a tandem but also with a sidecar that my mum was in and my mum used to she said she didn't like it she described it as rusty roads because she was a little kid so she'd be bumping about in a sidecar on this tandem bicycle um so it's so so okay so they're they were on a tandem bicycle and then you're and then there was like a but not a trailer a little sidecar off to the side yeah i've seen one in a cycling museum in wales i was i was really surprised to see in real life one that i've got in the photo so I don't know what it was called. I could i can probably find out somehow but it's, it's quite a contraption yeah that's so interesting. Every now and then, like um, That's- a friend, friends of mine or family would be like, "Hey, you're into cycling. Here's this old timey picture of, you know, this cycling contraption." And there's like a whole family, like you know, on one bike. And I'm always thinking, "Who are those people? Who who does that?" <laughs> and now I know it's it's your grandfather and, and his family. Oh, I'll, I'll get the picture over to you. Um, I'll, I'll send you a copy of the pictures. Yeah, that would be great. Talking about yeah. We'll share it. I I don't think I've seen something quite, yeah, like that. That's that's fantastic. Yeah, it must be. I think it's 1950s. Yeah, I think it'll be about 1950s. Yeah. And of course, your mom is like, that thing was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it kind of skipped a generation because my mom doesn't like cycling. So, And then I think it's just genetic that I've been programmed to, to pick it back up, you know. Yeah, right. Well, isn't that the way things sometimes go, right? We don't, yeah. we don't, you know, what what our parents are into is, is not of interest, but, you know, <laughs> what our grandparents are interested in. Yeah, so, um, so that's, gosh, I feel like I could just ask you questions about all sorts of these different trips. So I, you know, it, it's interesting because I've, um, yeah, I've ridden my bike in, in different ways over the years is for commuting. I've done, I did a tiny little bit of cyclocross racing, but that was just one uh-huh. season, just, just for fun. And then I've yeah. done, you know, longer road rides, but uh, I've, ne- and then I've 
only in the past few years I did, I wouldn't even really call it a tour, but it was, you know, I mean, I guess it was a bit of a tour riding my bike out with a group of women, um, mm-hmm. but it was it was supported. Somebody else brought the food out and cooked for us. And then I took my bike on, on the train and went on vacation, but stayed in an Airbnb. And I've been interested in, in getting more into touring. And I have to say that you are totally inspiring me because I've felt like, well, I don't know if I want to go by myself and where would I go? But you're just, you're, you're. I like the idea of like have centering it around something interesting, either, you know, literary history or, or some history that you're interested in. And then you're just going out on your own as well. Are you usually camping along the way or I know you use warm showers or. Uh, no, actually it's a mixture really. So I don't really like to set the camp, the camp up every night. I just, it just takes a long time for me to set a tent up and take it down and the extra weight so I'll camp occasionally but a lot of the time in the UK we've got these really good youth hostels that don't have to be for youths um, but they've always got bike storage um, my granddad used to go on the, to the youth hostels as well because he showed me as uh, he used to be able to get a stamp at each one you stayed at so he sent me um, a copy of that when I'd gone to the same ones as him. So the Youth Hostel Association, the official one over here, is really good for quite cheap accommodation. But then you can also cook your own meals because they've got you've got meal options or you've got a kitchen you can use. So I, I like youth hostels. Don't mind camping, um, weather dependent as well as time. And uh, yeah, I started using warm showers, which has just been fabulous. I thought. I thought you had to maybe be going around the world or something to use warm showers, but I've used a few uh, sort of locally. If it's been in, you know, hard to get to places or there's been no youth hostel option, and it's just been such a lovely experience. I was, you know, I, was, I have the usual concerns that anyone does that I might. The first time I ever stayed in one, I was I was really nervous and. I screenshotted all the conversations and a map to my friend and I was like, if I don't come back, it's because I've been buried in their garden and they were just, they was the complete opposite and the loveliest people I've ever met in my life. So um, I have the usual concerns, but I just figure that, you know, bad things can happen anywhere. People are 99.9% of the time lovely and um, so it's as so long as you just kind of follow your gut and hope for the best, things do usually work out. So, yeah, warm showers is great. And what else? Youth hostels and sometimes the odd B and B, you know, above a pub. There's a lot of pubs in the UK, so some of the some of the pubs are quite good for uh, bringing the bike around the back. Sometimes it's always a bit of an issue with the bike, so that's why I like the youth hostels because I know they'll be somewhere secure to put the bicycle but um and sometimes when I go away a friend will join me for a day or two or I just go on my own yeah I don't really mind being on my own because I always end up chatting to people so or people end up chatting to me and it's just it's fine it's always been fine you're making me want a bike tour in the UK now. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, yeah, let me know if you're over here. But what would be your, like, interesting, what would you maybe build it around? What are you interested in? Oh, I, oh my goodness, you've turned the tables here. Um, I don't know. That's a really good question. I um, 
it would probably be too much of a cliche to uh, go explore the, you know, romantic poets, <laughs> wouldn't it? Um, and uh, go uh, see where Wordsworth and Coleridge and Blake and all those uh, folks were hanging out. So that that would be, um, I've just written a verse about them a few days ago because they're known as, uh, where I was living up in Lancaster, they're known as the Lake District poets because they lived in the Lake District for a while. But they also lived in Bristol for quite a long time and they were first published in Bristol and two of them got married in Bristol to sisters. So Wordsworth and Coleridge and Southey also have this really big sort of Bristol connection. Um, and right about the Ancient Mariners were written not far from here and so there's definitely loads of you could build quite a really good tour actually up through them because it's not just the north of England it's also Bristol's got a really big piece of um, chunk of history for them but they went and lived in lots of places and wrote about them so that that would be a really cool I think cool. our, uh, a Jane Austen tour could be I'm sure delightful as well that could oh be. god yeah so you'd go to Bath, which is only about 15 miles away from Bristol, because uh, they've got a Jane Austen museum there. And lots of the, it's a Georgian city, so they go and film Jane Austen films in Bath, because the city's quite well preserved. So you'd, you'd recognise sort of the locations from many Jane Austen films, and that would be fab. Hmm. Um, so how's the how's the riding when you are when you're riding your bike around? Um, what's it like on the roads there? How is it interacting with folks in cars? Um, I think it's like it's it don't really some cities are better than others. Bristol's got a really nice reputation as being a good cycling city. And comparatively, it is a really good cycling city compared to some others because it's got some dedicated old disused railway bike paths like between Bristol and Bath. It's a 13-mile stretch of bike path, which is busier than, they say, the train line quite often with people commuting to and from work on it. Um, so some of the infrastructure here is, is really improving. But... It, like any city, is to do with space and there's um, it's cars and buses and taxis and bikes are all competing for space on roads that are filled with cars that are parked. So it's you get used to it. But then I went on holiday a couple of years ago to Copenhagen. And I came back really miserable because I was like, oh, this that city was amazing for what they've done because they got rid of all the on-street parking in the city in order to make the dedicated bike lanes. And the cars still had their lanes for driving. So it was a real example of how if a cycle campaign is done effectively that everyone can have space on the road by getting rid of the on-street parking and therefore more people cycle and therefore cycling safer. So it's okay. It's okay over here, um, but it could be better. I've cycled over in in France a couple of times. Um, and the cars, apart from in the in the actual cities, the cars out in the in the countryside just always seem to give a friendly toot to let you know they were about to pass and then would pass and give a lot of space. Whereas in the UK, quite often, it's an angry horn sort of telling you to get off the road. So it's it could be better. It could be better. But 
Mm-hmm. It could be, you know, it's just, I don't know the solution. Well, I think the solution is looking at countries um, that have managed it well, like in Copenhagen, like in Amsterdam, so they've made the space for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I know uh, even in here in the U.S., there's a, a huge difference between a city like, you know, Portland, where Aaron and I are versus mm. other other cities where and it, it's sort of a chicken and an egg thing. You know, the more people who ride their bikes, the more infrastructure there is. But it can be intimidating. It can be very intimidating to get started without uh, some of that infrastructure there in the first place. Yeah, Portland's got such a good reputation because um, I know you've got the you've got the film by bike festival there as well. I think yes, um, and it just it just comes up like like in the UK, Bristol was sort of ringing a bell because it had this reputation. Like like uh, Cambridge does as well. That's quite a big cycling city. Um, oh, so did you go there specifically because of that reputation to sort of settle in there for a little bit? Was yeah, that- and then. Yeah, I lived because I'm I'm from Scotland, but initially I lived a long time in London, so I was very used to I was very used to cycling around the the mad roads of London, actually, which is just <laughs> just it's overpopulated. So I was just part of the problem anyway. Um, so when I decided to leave London because it's so ex- it's so expensive, so it's good fun when you're young, but as you start to get older, um, there's not much point being there really because it's not a sustainable way of life um, because you have to live like a student forever Um, one of the places that was on my radar was Bristol because it had this good cycling reputation so and also the job I had at the time I used to teach English as a foreign language in language schools and Bristol's quite a big um, catchment area for language schools and students coming over internationally so I just kind of took a punt and um and I got here and I was I was just horrified at some of the hills. I was like, how on earth is this a cycling city? Because it's got these huge hills all over the place, but they keep you fit and they, there are these quite good uh, cycling lanes. And there's a Bristol cycling campaign. They do quite a lot of work to try and improve things. And also Sustrans started here and Sustrans stands for sustainable transport. So they they're the ones that were responsible for the Bristol to Bath bike path, the 13 mile stretch of disused railway that I was talking about. And um, ironically, I didn't know this at the time, but the village where I grew up in for a lot of my time in Scotland, has got the second Sustrans bike path. So the bike path I used to go on as a kid to get me from my village to a village five miles away where there was a lock and then back home was the second one that was ever built. So I've navigated my way to the to the origin of uh, sustainable transport bike paths, it seems. Wow, that's just that's just great. That sounds um yeah, the idea of being able to go from sort of a, a village to a village, you know, five miles away or so sounds I don't know that we have anything quite like that here, Aaron. I mean I have you here, just you know, we've got big cities, and then we the got suburbs, cities and, and we then got you're suburbs. kind of in the yeah. countryside. <laughs> yeah, right. I was thinking as as uh, Caroline, as you're talking about this, like the only uh, parallel we would have to that is maybe cycling from suburb to suburb. But uh, the way our road system works, it doesn't make that very easy. Mm. So, do you have to cycle basically, sort of on a a hard shoulder of a busy road then to go a long distance? Um, if for long distance cycling, uh, yeah, generally you'll be on like a 
hard or sometimes even soft shoulder of of uh, country road uh, is usually where uh, we have the American Cycling Association, uh, mm-hmm. and they they have great maps and great networks of uh, you know all over the country, like where where like cycling is somewhat safe, I guess, to get from like you know one place to another as as long or as short as you want it to be uh you know but a map can only really take you so far like the map can tell you like where to go and won't necessarily tell you like how safe that road is or you know what's what's populating that road um uh, yeah, or so, the times of year to avoid oh, yeah, it. You know, yeah. there's um, a, a lot of people like to um, ride their bikes along um, the the Oregon coast. But if you were to do that on a busy summer weekend, it would be incredibly oh, yeah. stressful. And I think mm-hmm. you know, um, there's there are definitely places where local communities have built out infrastructure or built trails or sometimes these are, you know, railroads that have been converted into bikeways. Um, And so sometimes there are places where you can do routes like that, but um, yeah, some of the best long, well, so this is sort of the, the trick is that some of the best long distance cycling is in the most rural areas where there aren't a lot of cars, which means that there's also not necessarily a lot of infrastructure yeah, uh, or to, bailout you know, options. be able to stay in a hostel or something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So now I'm now I'm planning um, the Sprocket podcast uh, bike tour. <laughs> <laughs> awesome! Of I can't wait. Starting in Bristol. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I saw a film. Um, maybe it was earlier this year. Yeah, I think it was. I was. I think it was. It was a documentary about a group of American cyclists, um, USA cyclists, and they were following the route from the book "The Grapes of Wrath." Oh yeah, and that was really cool. Yeah, they were. They were in Portland. I want to say two years ago, maybe less, um, and showed their film um, at a bike shop over here. Uh, we uh-huh. didn't get a chance to interview them while they were in town, but um, Guthrie, I think it was, uh, got to hang out with them for a while. Really great people. Yeah, that was an interesting tour they did tracing because that was like was really sort of a historical kind of tour that was made alive with the the the, the novelization, and then they did it on bikes and. Um, they took. They took. They were going to try and busk their way across to support themselves on the journey to play music along the way, but it wasn't necessary. I think part of the film they they sold the drum kit in the end, so they didn't have to keep carrying it right. on a trailer. Um, but yeah, it was it was interesting learning a bit of uh, USA history through that film and that that adventure they went on. Yeah, yeah that's, there oh, go ahead. all sorts of, well, then there was also, um, we talked about briefly on an episode this fall, there were, a, there was a group of people who um, did uh, what they called the, what did they call it, Aaron, the Underground Railroad? The, yeah, the Underground Railroad uh, bike, ride. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, and 
and that was based, you know, the Underground Railroad is, is, was not a railroad at all, of course, but mm. was uh, the way that, that enslaved people would follow um, a, a, a trail from different safe houses to try to escape slavery. And this was a group, it was, it was led by a black man. I don't know if they were all people of color, but, um, and, and so they basically rode bikes through and, and all these different landscapes in the South too. And I think they're actually working on a, I, I think they did some recording and there'll be a, a movie yeah. coming out about that. Um, so that was a, a pretty fascinating way of also combining, um, yeah, uh, bicycles, bicycle touring with some um, history and I don't know, social commentary, I guess. Yeah. And, and really kind of, again, getting right into the landscape of what that journey might have entailed. That's, that's fascinating. Right. And in a way that you just really wouldn't get if you were sort of driving from site to site, because, yeah. you know, retracing that by your own human power, even if it's on a bicycle rather than, than foot, is just such a different way to experience the landscape. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, Caroline, uh, you're talking about like tracing these these routes of or, or I guess creating a route uh, around like, say, uh, famous writers and, you know, going about where they were. Um, what's one moment that stands out? I'm thinking, like, with when I read Dracula, you know, Bram Stoker was very descriptive in the landscape of things. And I could, you know, when I read that, of course, I was, like, you know, middle school maybe. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, maybe more of an active imagination then. So I could really, like, put myself there. I could, like, see my you know, like in my mind's eye, like see the, the landscape of, of what he was talking about. You know, you could see Castle Dracula <laughs> as he's describing it. Um, but I, I was wondering, uh, as you're doing these tours, you know, uh, having read the literature, um, is there a moment where you're like stopping your bike and like, oh, that's what they were talking about when, you know, when uh, Jane Eyre said, you know, X, Y, or Z, or when the Bronte sisters were, you know, writing about something, you know, w- yeah, what's one moment that stands out to you? Um, well, it's because you've mentioned Dracula. So some of Dracula's set in Whitby. So when I did right. that the tour that was the literary tour of the north of England, it was from the west coast of England to the east coast, and Whitby's on, Whitby's on, the, on the sea on the east coast. So that's where... In Dracula, when Dracula sails over um, the ocean to the UK, that's where he lands, is at Whitby. And um, I was really, I was really, really excited. I really like Dracula. I, like, I even like the Keanu Reeves version in the film. I've got no problem with it at all. I think it's fabulous. Right on. And, um, because my granddad was really into cycling, I remember ringing up my granddad, telling him how excited I was about this tour I was going to go on. And I knew that he liked Whitby because he'd been stationed there when he was training for the army uh, for World War Two. They did the, their training before they were sent off in Whitby. And he had these paintings of Whitby on his um, in his living room with the Captain Cook ship. So I rang my granddad up and I said, oh, granddad, I'm doing this bike tour and it's going to be fabulous and I'm going to Whitby and I know you like Whitby and I'm going because, you know, Dracula. And my granddad was really chirpy 
and happy go lucky and it's one of the few times he ever sounded irritated and he had a sort of he had, he had a grumbly moment where he started telling me how Whitby wasn't just about Dracula because they have a sort of vampire festival there every year as well it wasn't just about Dracula and he gave me a sort of mini lecture about Captain Cook uh, and who went off sailing discovering bits of the world that uh, that the British didn't know about, but the people living there did. And um, so when I got to when I got to Whitby on my bike, I, I was quite aware of how my granddad felt about Dracula. But my granddad had told me where he'd been billeted was up in this hotel in the army. And because I'd been tracing the route of Dracula in this in this particular bit of the book in Dracula, it's where Dracula sort of ensnares Lucy away from the house and makes her walk up these 188 oh, steps yeah. to, Into to the where the church and, is, which and, is in front of um, the sort of relic of the abbey, this ruined abbey. And um, this... The place where my granddad had been billeted, I went and found, and it's the same place where Bram Stoker had stayed to write and view this scene where across the across the bay is where Lucy got bitten by Dracula. So I just found it really funny <laughs> that I'd gone off to go and find this romantic vampire thing and that my granddad had given me a telling off and that he'd actually stayed in the same place ah. where Bram Stoker had been writing it so it, it all just combined into this kind of I rang my granddad up to tell him where I was but I didn't yeah. tell him the vampire side of the story oh. I just said I'm where you were billeted <laughs> Did you find Keanu Reeves when you were there? Oh but if I had I wouldn't uh, he would still be here yeah. there'd be a where's right. Keanu kind of uh, campaign <laughs> <laughs> well what a what a great yeah i just i uh i'm wishing we had had uh your granddad on the podcast i bet he would have had some fantastic well, stories to tell us yeah he wouldn't have let me tell that one though because he would he would have made us stop talking about vampires <laughs> <laughs> we all have our sensitivities <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for for um, joining us. I know that uh, we had talked about you sharing some of your poems that you have written either on earlier tours or more recently. Would you like to choose some to share with us now? Oh, sure. That'd be great. So um, I can read a few of the verses of since because I, I lived in Bristol before and I moved away for a couple of years and I've been back for two and a half months and because of lockdowns I've been trying to go out on the bike and write a verse of poetry each day about somewhere I didn't really know about in Bristol before or I just took for granted and also just as a way to try and get me out of the house even if it's just for 10 or 15 minutes on the bike because it's you know it's winter and it's wet and it's easy to stay in and not go out. But um, so I've been writing these little verses each day about the odd, odd little things I'm finding around Bristol. So I could read a, read a few of these uh, verses that I've been calling Bristol Bike Bard. Whether they, whether Bristol wants a bike bard or not, I've pronounced <laughs> myself as one. So I'll, I'll read I'll read five verses from that. Um, so 
I'm sure Bristol wants a bike bar. They just don't know they want one yet. Yeah, they they didn't realize how much they needed one until, you know. So <laughs> I mean, stop. we all need, we need bike bars. I'm realizing now. We are everywhere. <laughs> um, I'll start with, a, I went to a local bike shop to get, to get a repair done. So I'll start from there. At the bike shop, their door has a COVID screen to speak through and a fab bike bell on handlebars to ring for service, reassuring and nice touches from an indie venue. Outside, turning my wheels, the sunset paints the sky's canvas. Arriving home, the colour wheel turns oranges to blues and the moon shines brightly, all light shows from the universe. Outside the Maypole pub, which due to lockdown serves no booze, a permanent Maypole's waiting till next spring to be used. I can't resist cycling round it. The little things amuse. I rode to the Weir in Saltford Lock, where I mused on Emily Bronte's poems while drinking my coffee. When I looked up, the hills were cloaked in misty light, diffused. On the empty plinth, Darth Vader strikes his pose from Empire. Bristolian David Prowse played Darth. He died this week, riding like on a speeder bike. I went to admire. On my freshly fixed folding bike, a new place was revealed. Magpie Bottom Nature Reserve links Hannam to Kingswood. Magpies in trees, ducks in the brook. And through the mud, I wheeled. So that's just some of the the Bristol bike bard verses. Um, it's very nice. You mentioned David Prowse. That's cool. Yeah, he used to be a lifeguard in the in a big outdoor swimming lake here before he was Darth Vader. So I heard um, I heard Carrie Fisher used to call him Darth Farmer on set of Star Wars because <laughs> Bristol's got a very West Country far, um, farming kind of accent. I like it, but obviously Carrie Fisher was having a joke for yeah. David Prowse. So, um, yeah, the, the the history, you know, and um, I think you'd have seen it on the news probably um, in Bristol this year during Black Lives Matter. Um, the protest is it was amazing. They pulled down the, the Colston statue. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. So that Colston plinth got, that statue got pulled down. So that's now empty. So different things have been getting put on where Colston's statue was. And when David Prowse uh, passed away for a few days, they put a sort of small Darth, Darth Vader statue up on there, which was just lovely. Yeah. So I'm hearing if you want to make it as as a, uh, a celebrity, either in literary or in film, it helps to be from Bristol. Oh, I mean, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just, the real reason, the real reason, it's not it's not for the bicycling amenities. It's, it's to launch launch your fame. <laughs> it's just, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll try anything, you know, but. Um, <laughs> It's worth a shot. Yeah, I just didn't uh, realize there was there was so many famous people coming out of there. Yeah, I suppose actually. Yeah, um, Carrie Grant was originally from here, 
Um, there's a statue of Cary Grant <laughs> in the Millennium Square. Bob Hope lived here for a little while. There's a plaque for him in one of the parks because I went and cycled and wrote a verse about that. Um, so, yeah, it's got, there's a few... There's a few. There's a lot of uh, American pop culture. <laughs> yeah. That's your bike tour. Your bike could be uh, American, yeah, American pop culture in Bristol and surrounding areas. Yeah, that we did. It would know. be it would be so American to go on a bike tour in another country and be like, "What can we learn more about ourselves?" <laughs> no, I think that's, that's everyone though, because I mean. As soon as, you know, as soon as I see a bit of tartan abroad, it's like, <laughs> in, in our, yeah, where was I? Um, yeah, in Cuba, the, the school kids, the girls were wearing um, um, sort of tartan uniforms, tartan skirts. And I was like, what's going on here? And then in Argentina, the thistle was one of their uh, sort of national sort of um, images and I was like the thistle's Scottish you know so it's like wherever you go it's the same it's the same. you know everyone's everyone's doing the same thing yeah yeah um okay so you had another one you wanted to that you were going that's to all right yeah yes totally. I would love it this is great okay so I'll read my my poem that's about my Wilfred Owen tour so like I was saying earlier if, if people don't know who Wilfred Owen was um he was one of the the English World War One poets, and um, he wrote really visual poems about the reality of war. So he wasn't against war, but he was against the propaganda of it. Um, so that's why he kind of gets taught in the schools over here as poems. Uh, he's got a really good poem about describing what the reality of a gas attack and what what's that like. So that's why I wanted to go and sort of trace his history in the UK. So this is called A Wilfredo and Odyssey, A Spring Cycling Offensive. My bike's fully loaded, my own pack mule, a pilgrimage of Wilfred Owen poetry, riding south between the Pennines and the Irish Sea, I set my sights for distant Liverpool. You can't miss it, says a man, I ask for directions. Casting his curse, I get lost different ways, till I skirt Leyland where tanks were once made. I'm relieved I've survived it through Preston. Spring lambs bounce around flat fields in the rebel, near two crows ganging up on a baby squirrel. The B road takes me over six screaming lanes to a scouse bus honking with offensive disdain. In Birkenhead, a statue called Futility shows a man with his heads in his hands who sat with a wreath of paper poppies in his lap. The bronze remains dull, although it's sunny. Expecting a veteran, I meet a musician who went to the B.I. Wilfred's old school. Only a wall remains where a cruel head caned kids for breaking archaic rules. In his Wilfmobile, he shows me locations. Did you know a dead famous poet lived there? The people living inside couldn't care. Then it's back to the Wilfred Owen Museum, hearing how he's adapted poetic rhythm into a Wilfred Owen musical. Near Chester, I rest in a cyclist cafe, where a roadie shows me a safer greenway. Past the cemetery where rows of soldiers fill, uniform graves standing to attention. 
Despite the forecast, there's miles of cold, wet stuff. But warm showers greet me at Oswestry from members of that cycling community. There's Wilf's birthplace, another statue, an exhibition, a plaque, a park in the church where he prayed. A Wilfred lemon and poppy seed cake was made by the librarian, second place in a bake-off. I wait by a country field as cows are unloaded. One runs bellowing, it's separated. And another truck is its baby calf. It's quieter when I reach city grass outside Shrewsbury Abbey, whose bells when they were ringing war's end. That's when Wilfred's mum got news he died. At a pub B&B, I stop cycling. In the bath, the acoustics sound great being read. Wilfred Owen by Richard Burton on YouTube before bed. Thanks. Well, this is all uh, fascinating and quite lovely. I mean, thank you so much. This is, um, you're doing such interesting things and sharing it in such interesting ways. Can you tell our listeners how to find you on various websites and social media? And we'll also, we'll put it in the show notes, but um, if you could go ahead and tell folks. Okay, yeah, so um, I write under my name, which is Caroline Burroughs. Um, burrows like a rabbit lives in and also with the name verse cycle verse is in poetry and cycle as in bicycle verse cycle all one word so caroline burrows or verse cycle on instagram twitter youtube and facebook so like the wilfred owen odyssey poem and the the talk I gave about the literary cycle tour of the north um, there's videos for those on youtube and the Bristol Bike Bard verses, they're going up every day or nearly every other day. Um, so there's 60 verses of those at the moment, but they're on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook under Verse Cycle. There's no videos for them at the moment, but there's quite a lot of, there's different styles of poetry on there as well. So there's cycling poetry um, and then there's other kinds of uh, strands of per- uh, poetry and um, talks that, aren't cycling related there's um there's a load of videos on there of a poem called a year of trying to be environmentally friendly it's not easy being green um so i spent a year writing a verse a day about trying to be eco-friendly so some of those are cycling related and other times it's just the difficulties of trying to recycle and um guest people are recording those now so it's like a really nice collaborative project so while lockdown's been happening it's been great because people have been recording the verses and sending them back to me and then I compile them in batches of 10 so there's lots yeah there's a lot on YouTube actually under verse cycle well this is fantastic uh thank you so much for joining us today um and I'm sure our listeners will be interested to hear more about um your your poetry and your touring what a great um i don't know what a what a great adventurous spirit you have it's been really delightful to speak with you and i look forward to hearing more about what you're up to oh it's been great it's been great talking to you thanks for having me you're very welcome thank you for joining us bye 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 all right that was great yeah that was really good 
<clears throat> I um, I'm gonna after we finish, I'm gonna start a bike tour. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hey, I got a question for you. Okay, what's the question? What color is this mug that you see? Is this like a dress question? <laughs> uh, that mug is black with red. Or let me get it closer. Da, da, da. <laughs> Getting closer to my computers. Uh, <laughs> or um, is it blue? It it is it is still. Are you suggesting it is not black? It is black, and now it's blue. Dark blue. Oh, I see. I see. Is and that because it's, it's reflecting my sweater? No, it's it's actually blue. <laughs> but. Anna got me this mug um, because it's, you know, two of my, well, she thought it was two of my favorite colors. She thought it was like black and red. Um, and it's a pretty cool slogan. Coffee should be dope. Uh, this is <laughs> from uh, Deadstock Coffee uh, in downtown Portland. Um, but yeah, she got this for me and she's, she's like, Got you this new mug. This is this really cool. This we celebrated our our Christmas last night, and I opened it. I was like, "Oh, cool, new mug," and got it into the light. And she was like, "Wait, is that blue?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it it's, is. <laughs> it's nothing a sharpie can't fix. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Okay. Since we're doing this, what what color is is my mug? That's that's like a light blue with a black rim. Uh, it's it's, or... it's light blue with a uh, I'd say a navy blue rim. Oh, okay. See what? <laughs> it all depends on the on the angle, right? What what um riveting audio commentary? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just. This is. I don't know. I was just cleansing the palette. That's all. I think you're excited about your new mug. I'm which kind is of excited great. about my new mug, even though it is. I blue. love people um, can always get me big mugs. I like a, a larger mug or mm-hmm. or uh, warm socks, fuzzy socks as, as presents in case anybody <laughs> needs some suggestions. Anyone looking for last minute gifts for me <laughs> for Joan? <laughs> yeah, th- those things always work. We should, speaking of what we're drinking. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We should probably say, no, we will. We will indeed say thanks to our nationally recognized beverage sponsor, the top beer bar in Oregon, the Beer Mongers on Southeast 12th and Division, now open for more than 4,000 days consecutively. Um, a patio outside um, and lots of good stuff inside in that you can access in, um, you know, I was going to say COVID safe ways. How about uh, as safe as safe as one could be as safe as these things go yeah. these yeah. days. It's just also a really good time to support your local businesses. Yes, most definitely. Also. Hey. Can you hit me with some piano music? <laughs> you know what? Yes. <laughs> this just cracks me up. <laughs> this music? Or, yeah, oh. I love it. I love it. It's hilarious. It just makes me laugh. Do you hear the story behind this? Isn't it isn't it Guthrie playing the playing the yeah. toy piano? He didn't know anyone was was recording him though. <laughs> I had taken all the equipment in 
uh, this was back when our studio was the trailer and we had it parked outside. Uh, uh, oh, it's pretty. You probably need to turn it down. It was a little it's, loud. I don't it's know if folks still, can hear you over that. Oh, man. See, to me, it, I shut it off. Like, I turned the slider all the way down. And so I'm not hearing any music. Oh. That's why I can't. Yeah, I can never quite gauge how loud it is for anybody on the other end. Um, anyways, yeah, I had taken all of the equipment in. And in that trailer, there was, like, all sorts of, like, toy instruments. Well, you've been in there before. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to, I guess, fill time and occupy himself, he was just tooling around on the toy piano. And so I snuck in because I could hear him from outside. I snuck in and then just started recording him. <laughs> and then Brock turned it into our calendar sounder. There's a, there's a lot of soul in yeah. that, in that uh, performance. <laughs> oh, yeah, he was really into it. I, it's it's pretty fantastic. Um, okay, okay, should, do you want to wait? Okay, so uh, what, we're, what we're doing, though, Aaron, is we still have the calendar on hiatus. We do still have the calendar on hiatus. Cause yeah, because, you know. Things are still rough out there. We're, 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 we're sticking a little closer to home these days. We're exploring our neighborhoods and, and writing poetry about it. Some of us are doing that. Um, but... What we want to encourage our listeners to do is to think about um, local laws and regulations permitting, adding some <laughs> yes. uh, festive lights or additional lights to your bike this winter, bring a bit of cheer to our days without much daylight. Yes. And and if people do that, uh, go ahead and take a photo and share it with us on any of our social media, on Facebook at the Sprocket Podcast, um, Twitter or Instagram. Um, Sprocket podcast or use and please do use the hashtag Sprocket Winter Bike. Um, so this is just a little little bit of way to add some yeah. extra lights to our bike, which is always good this time of year. And um, I, you know. I want to show you, I, I, it's not really set up very well. And maybe you can see, here I'll turn my computer so the camera is pointing closer to my bike. And... I got me a string of lights that I then uh, weaved through a bungee net and then stuck that bungee net on my saddlebag. Oh, oh. <gasps> whoa, whoa. <laughs> so now, now I've got a whole net of lights on my saddlebag in the back of my bike there. Okay, you know, stringing it through the bungee net was inspired that was a really good idea yeah. i i honestly like i wanted to like how you had with the um with the little disco balls because these are actually those icicle lights that hang down mm-hmm. so i kind of wanted to do that uh and it came it became really apparent really quickly that if i had tried that i would end up uh getting them tangled like as i tried to bike and that would be dangerous. <laughs> so this was this was sort of my my solution to that problem. Three three years ago, I got these um, great uh, snowflake lights. They were like these metal snowflakes, and I wound them all around, uh, you know, the stem, and then up the top, sort of sloped frame of my mixty. Mm. And I kept um, hitting my legs into the metal snowflakes. Uh, but you know, it was winter. I was wearing pants, so it wasn't that big of a deal. And they also uh, didn't work for very long. Uh-huh. Um, 
And then last year, two years ago, I just did some simple lights where it was just the light, but it didn't have anything hanging. And then this year I got fancy again with the disco balls, which have already stopped working. <laughs> so, Are these the, the lights that you're getting? Are they indoor outdoor? Do you know, or um, are they just indoor lights? I, I, th- yeah, they're, I think so. They're indoor. I, well, you know, I don't know what's going on. I think maybe what's happening is that when I'm hitting it, when I'm riding, there's just so much more to hit on. Oh, and I also lost one of the disco balls. Nice. It is somewhere in Portland. <laughs> I'm sorry, Portland. I have. That's all right. Someone got a free disco ball. I have literally. Well, actually, you know, what's really fun about the disco balls. And that is that I get really interesting reflections just riding around with oh, the I sun bet. and the clouds. Yeah. Right, get like should, a, of course, it's a disco ball. I mean, yeah, even it's a little like tiny a prism one effect disco going ball, on. two-inch disco ball. So, so even without the light, it is still fun. But it, yeah, it's, you know, and I put it in a, I put it in a Ziploc baggie and I taped it to the bottom of my frame. So I haven't looked at it closely enough to figure out why it's not working. Oh. But, um, but I gotta, I gotta, I gotta figure out a, a better way to, have some I'm, fun lights. Yeah, I'm kind of getting into this now. Uh, didn't realize how simple it was. Just that, I mean, these I, I just bought at my local Kroger-owned uh, grocery store, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and it was—it's just a little battery pack with some lights. I, for the longest time, thought I would have to spend like you know, a hundred or so dollars on bike specific lights that, you know, you have to like, uh, connect to your Bluetooth on your phone and program that way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then you have to pay $10 for the app. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> but, but if you do that, maybe then if you play music, they will blink, uh, yeah. to the music. Yeah. I can't remember who it was. I want to say it was Eric Iverson. Uh, had one that was reactive to the music that he was playing. That is a that's pretty that's pretty smooth. That's pretty smooth. Yeah, I I well the thing about doing this is the reason that we have lights this time of year. Like it is no coincidence that we have all these light festivals and celebrations on these very dark days and Adding some extra lights to your bike, again, local laws permitting, depending, know your local <laughs> laws and right. regulations. Um, it really does, I think, help increase size and visibility. I know sometimes when I'm uh, driving, I don't drive that much, but when I drive at night, I'm always really worried when I see somebody on a bike a lot later than I think I should have seen them in the winter time. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like I get worried about people. Um, so some extra lights can, can help. Uh, this time of year it is something i i think about as well um commuting home you know uh i am out of work usually around 5 five thirty. most anywhere else that's still twilight <laughs> over here in the winter this far north uh that's it's dark it's pitch black and because we have cloud cover over 90 percent of our of our sky around this season it's just it i always forget every year how dark it is in the winter it, it it's dark it gets dark early and um you know i hope we're all taking our vitamin d there you go because there's there's no other way to get it right now <laughs> 
there's nothing. Even if you go outside in the middle of the day, there's very little getting <laughs> you're, through those you're clouds. Not gonna get a, you're not going to get much. You might get some. But, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. I highly so, recommend if, if you if you are thinking about it uh, and, and see your medical professional. This is not medical advice, but I highly mm-hmm. recommend taking some vitamin D. Everybody. Or legal advice. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. this is not legal advice either. Consult your mm-hmm. lawyer about vitamin D. <laughs> and your and your doctor about <laughs> your bike legs. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you know what else we have coming up? What What do we have? So right now I can't hear the sounder, by the way. I don't know if it's playing for you. That's good. Oh, that's good. Oh, it stopped. <laughs> <laughs> All right. First up in our headlines, how New Yorkers want to change the streetscape for good. Now, would it... When they say for good, do they mean like for the good of everybody or like for permanent? Mm, Both. It means both. It means both. City officials handed over 83 miles of roadway to cyclists, which doesn't sound like a whole lot until you think about how condensed New York City is. Uh, Handed over 83 miles of roadway to cyclists, runners and walkers allowed nearly 11,000 restaurants to stretch into sidewalks and streets and let retailers expand their storefronts beyond their front doors. People reclaimed the pavement and are, by and large, unwilling to give it back. Damn right. Hang on to it. Whose streets? Whose streets? (laughs) Whose streets? Everyone's streets. Everyone's streets. But except for the cars. Except for the motor vehicle. They've had it too long. (laughs) A great visual visualization in the New York Times on how things could look post-pandemic with transformed streets. Oh, so that was created like in a, I, I saw that like video or that gift and I was like, oh, they're way too close to each other. <laughs> I get it now. It was created as, a, as an example of what it could look like. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been really great. So because the other the other headline is um, it's not just, you know, big cities that are that are doing this or thinking about these things Um, from the Ottawa citizen. uh, We have an article. COVID showed us ways we can make our cities more livable. We saw more people, walkers, joggers, cyclists, inline skaters and others use our infrastructure when roads were closed to cars than when the roads were open to them. And so um, this is on a, uh, a Canadian survey from the National Capital Commission um, who closed a bunch of roads across Canada. And um, they, they asked Canadians what they want their streets to look like now that they've seen them host more than just cars. So nice. um, like we were talking about with Caroline, there have been some silver linings um, during a pretty difficult time and um you know maybe some of that will will bring some changes in not just how our new infrastructure develops but how we think of this infrastructure and streets and public space and how we use them yeah so that's from ottawa the province of canada is that Mm -hmm. the ottawa citizen well yes right well let me look at that i believe is right next to where i grew up Oh, where did now you I grow up, Aaron? I grew up in southeast Michigan. Ah, okay. So, so I grew up where well, I grew up where in the New Detroit England River and then across the lake from 
Toronto ah. in, in Rochester, New York, ah, okay. New York. Yeah, it was further west. So where the Detroit <laughs> River separates Canada and the U.S. right there near the thumb. Uh, well, I was like about an hour away from that. We used to... Um, I didn't do this very often, but uh, one time, uh, one summer, I think it was after my freshman year of college, uh, one of my high school friends and I were hanging out and we had gone out to a show in Buffalo. And then I think we were done at like 11 and we were like, let's go to Niagara Falls. Ah. (laughs) So we just went to Niagara Falls. It's just something to do on a Saturday night. Ah. And we drove home. That was... And the Canadian side, too. I think we actually did, you know, it used to be easier to go back and forth across national borders, pre, pre-pandemic, yeah. yes. pre-9-11. You didn't such. even need a passport at that time. I think all you needed no, was like either no. a driver's license or a birth certificate. Yeah, I remember those yeah, days. Yeah, and if you were... And if you were a couple of college-age white kids, you just needed to look like... <laughs> you just you were just be like, hey, we're not up to any... We're We're up to... You know, we're not up to no good. We're we're fine. Yeah. We're like we're nineteen. Uh, <laughs> this is what we're doing. Yeah, this is what we do. <laughs> we're just I, going to Niagara Falls. I just fact fact checked myself here just to make sure and I was incorrect. Ottawa is a town in Ontario province, which is the province where uh yeah, that connects to Michigan and also New York. Thank you for checking, and, and now I am wishing I had said I thought it was a city, but of course I <laughs> wasn't quite clever enough to do that. I'm, With well, apologies to our Canadian listeners. Yes, many apologies. Americans are terrible at geography. That's not an excuse. That is my uh, commitment to do better. But also, you know terribly international episode today that is true so go us from across the pond and then north of the border yes yep yep bringing in a a, a range of of experiences of other places that also speak this language (laughs) (laughs) well you know it's if we tried we you know it requires another skill that i don't I don't know if you speak any other languages. I I can't. I've tried. I I'm well, I shouldn't say I can't. I just haven't learned yet. I um I speak a little bit of Spanish mm-hmm. and um uh shamefully enough, I don't really speak. I I've lived in two other countries and don't really speak much of the languages that are that are spoken there. I didn't have to use them for for work and I picked up a couple courtesy words. Um but uh, yeah. Oh, and I took a little bit of French in college because because that's what you do. Uh, yeah, because that's what you do. So I look a little bit French, and so when so when I'm I can as long as I don't talk, I can. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes can people pass. think that I'm French. <laughs> that's funny. So, so maybe not speaking French is is the best way for me to look French. Then I don't give myself away. <laughs> I I didn't have a, a gauge of what, what it is to look French. Like, uh, there's a pretty direct line of my profile through my father and grandfather and great-grandfather. And I even have 
uh, a kind of f- famous well, uh, Canadian or French, actually, French ancestor who who was in Canada. And I saw a wood cutting of him recently. And oh. I was like, oh, I, I recognize I recognize that profile. I see. Yeah. Yeah. It came over with Samuel Champlain and, uh, you know, as, as the French began to bring their own travesty to <laughs> uh, the yeah. indigenous people of Canada. But um, anyway, but there we go. My profile, direct line back to right on. France. <laughs> Even talking about. I don't. I don't know how we got out of this. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, that is partly why I took French. Anyway. Oh, right on. <laughs> um. So it doesn't look like we have any mail. Uh. I. I'm curious. You were on last night, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, so, we recorded last night. So, first off, so we're we're a little off schedule. Yeah. First off, I want to apologize because I think I said I was going to set up all the equipment and then I just totally no-showed. So, one, I apologize to you and to to Brock and especially to Todd Grosbeck, who we had on. I had really, really wanted to at least peek in and just say hi and and thank him. (laughs) But... uh, like I said, I saw, I was celebrating uh, Christmas with Anna and our friend Stephen. We're like kind of our own germ pod, I guess. Is is you know we the three of us are the only people who hang out with each other. Uh, so um, Anna's off on a trip, and this was like the one window that we could celebrate. And I just lost track of time. I really did want to set up and everything, but yeah, you know, we got into our celebration and hanging out and playing video games and playing music. And then it was 10 o'clock and (laughs) whoops, I missed everything. Um, Ooh. Okay. Can you hear me? I can hear you fine. Okay. My microphone stopped working. It was kind of static for half a second. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it cut off. It said it wasn't working, but yeah. Well, you know, it's important to celebrate holidays with our family and loved ones. Yeah, and our germ Um, pods. And our germs? Is that what you said? (laughs) Our germ pods. You know, the people who we know what germs we have. Yes, you're part of the same viral household. Yes, there we go. That's a good phrase for it. Doesn't that just make you feel so cozy with people? (laughs) Yeah, it's... You know, it's a, it's a level of intimacy I didn't know I would reach yeah, at, yeah, yeah. at this point. Hey, yeah, life. and it's interesting because you can have that, you know, we're, we're all part of, I'm my viral household includes um, a couple of teenagers, two cats, a dog. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not pretend that That's we're right. not all sharing everything. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, do you let your cats out or do, are they strictly indoor cats? <laughs> No, they're indoor cats now. We, um, the the older one. I mean, they're both pretty young, but mm. the big cat, uh, Sky, um, she she my my son. She, they're really my my older son's cats, and he started bringing her outside. And um, but then we really didn't want her to be an outside cat. So then when we got our kitten, about our new kitten the little cat, Yuzu, a year and a half ago, um, we, we 
transitioned away from letting Sky outside and she was so persistent. Anytime she saw me or the dog go anywhere near the door, she oh, was wow. right over there. Yeah. We did get a, like a leash and harness system for them. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, they're, they're, and, and I think the thing is, is that, um, I don't know. I just, uh, she'd be really happy to be outside, but cats are just out there killing the birds and stuff. There is that. Know. Yes, there have been many bird species that have become extinct here in the continental U.S. because of uh, house cats being let outside. Yeah. True fact. Adam ruins pets. That's the episode I watched. Is that what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So She has stopped um, asking, and now she just... Uh, but now I, I also find in the house that there are, you know, for example, things are displaced from the top of the washing machine, which never would have been. I think she's just uh, looking for places yeah, yeah. to jump and climb. Yeah, sure. So now she's exploring more furniture. I'd be interested if you try the whole harness and walking the cat, how, how successful that becomes. Uh, with our little cat she's so skittish but she just wants to go outside and nibble on grass um, uh, i think our our i think sky who's a bold a bolder confident cat i think she'll i think she'd actually i um i haven't i haven't brought her out but i think she'd kind of be into it when she got but they, right now they do the thing where when you put the harness on them they sort of they just lie down like they're dead yeah. <laughs> i i have this I don't know, just this fascination with cats on leashes. There's tons of YouTube video compilations of, like, people trying to walk their cats, and the cats almost invariably, you know, just lie down and refuse to walk with the, with their person. My dog did that yesterday, though. Oh, really? My uh, little 15-pound senior terrier has become, I mean, okay, so... This dog, he's always been my dog and, you know, we're, we're pretty attached. We're, we're close. Um, but during this pandemic, he's really been best selfing. He has, uh, he, he is right now sleeping under my chair. Not just, it's like, if I don't put his dog bed right under my chair, he'll just curl up right under my chair. So I put the dog (laughs) bed right under my chair. But yesterday, um, I asked one of my kids to take him for a walk and the dog pretty much like just about refused to go. Really? And, and was the it kid it wasn't is like with his you second or? favorite human. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and, and I was just there like, go on Astro, go on, go on, you know, trying to like encourage him. And then um, they had just gotten to the park and the dog was walking along and then it just started raining. Oh. <laughs> Both of them, and the dog was just like, "That's it." I, yeah. I clearly am never supposed to leave. The <laughs> no house more walks ever again, Joan. Yeah. So <laughs> this is and what happens he, when someone else takes me out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So they both got back completely soaking wet, and then the dog did his joyous. I survived the rain and being away from my favorite person for fifteen minutes. It was. <laughs> It was, he was bouncing around the house for, you know, 10 minutes, just celebrating, surviving. Yeah. So Um, I was wondering, because I know your dog's pretty old. I was wondering if it was because, you know, like say age that he was refusing to walk, but it's not because of that. It's because he just didn't want to walk out in the weather or with, with that particular human at that time. 
He did the same thing to my other kid a few a few weeks ago, and then I took him this morning, and he was like, "Mr. Bouncy, happy." So oh. the dog's fine. I mean, the dog the dog's birthday is Christmas. He'll be turning twelve. Oh, nice! He gets to open the first present. <laughs> <laughs> is that tradition? It is. It is because. Uh, yeah, it, you know, it's a it's a dual holiday for him, both sure. secular Christmas and his his birthday. But also, it's a good way to distract him while we so we give him some interesting time. Ah, and right then, on. And then you can go about your business with your own presents. I see. Yeah, yeah. Right got got some. The cats have already been busting, breaking into their oh. presents. So I had to lock them up. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty exciting. Yeah. Pretty exciting here in my house. I don't know. Now now I wanna now I want a pet just so I have like an excuse for getting into the presence to be like, oh no, no, the cat did it. It was yeah. uh it was Rover. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to you're off for a, a little bit right now, right? Yeah, till the fourth of January. That's nice. I've got a little more work to do and then I'll I'll be off yeah. too. Nice. Nice to have some downtime. Will Anna be back for you to have a little bit of time with her too? Yeah, she's gone today. She'll actually be back later today, and then she'll come home for a couple hours, and then she's gone for until the twenty sixth, the morning of the twenty sixth. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so then you have a little bit of time. Yep. Yep. And she'll actually she'll actually be in Portland on Christmas. It's just. She will be at the airport for a few hours. It's like kind of like standby. So I don't know. I might, depending on how motivated I am, I might end up heading over there. I mean, what else am I going to do anyway? Uh, yeah. Well, if you do, make sure to have your lights on your bike. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, that's nice. I that's actually nice. like yeah, that's weird. I mean, Yeah, I don't know. The way I grew up, you know, I, I grew up with my parents in different households. So celebrating on a specific day is not super important to me you know for me it's you know when i'm gathered with my viral household (laughs) right with with our viral household that's what makes a holiday let's just gathering with my viral you know pandemic or not let's just keep that phrase going (laughs) it's it's truly a delightful and horrifying phrase because because you really are forced to confront what it means (laughs) (laughs) right yeah Yep. Christmas Christmas is in the hearts of all of us gathered together in, in our viral households. And and I think I think viral household is is really just a a, a much better f- f- uh term than pod. Oh. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Simpler communicates yeah. exactly what you mean, you know. <laughs> right on. So yeah, I saw it, I saw it on some elevator. It said you you couldn't ride in an elevator with anyone else unless they were in your viral household. Ah, and so that phrase is stuck. Has stuck with you. Yeah. And that's also some, some very gonna go good joy idea ride for, the elevator yeah. with some with the cats. Very good idea for the ele- there there you go. <laughs> Take the cats on the elevator. You can't have these cats in here. Oh no, they're with my viral household. We're in the same viral household. It's fine. It's they're fine. on a leash. <laughs> We're part of the same household. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note. <laughs> yes. Let's let's do some credits. Let's do some credits. I don't know if you hear the music. I do. Okay. 
The Sprocket Pot. Let's start that thing. (laughs) I'm sorry. Hold on. We all know what we're doing here. Ah, Another gulp of coffee. There we go. The Sprocket Podcast is produced at home until we can all get together in that sweet, sweet COVID vaccine days. Our website is thesprocketpodcast.com. Email to thesprocketpodcast at gmail.com. Call or text to 503-847-9774. Twitter and the Instagrams at Sprocket Podcast. Be sure to hashtag Sprocket Winter Bike with your bike lights. Thanks to Ryan J. Lane for our theme music. Herbert Bird for our headline sounder. Marcus Norman for graphic design. And thanks to our generous support of our Patreon supporters and listeners. Shadowfoot, Wayne Norman, Eric Iverson. Cameron Lean, Richard Wazinski, Tim Mooney. Glenn Kubish, Matt Kelly, Eric Weiss. Todd Parker, Chris Smith, Caleb Jenkinson. J.P. Lee, Peanut Butter Jar Matt, Marco Lowe. Rich Otterstrom, Andrew in Colorado, Drew the Welder. Anna, Happy Trails. Andre Johnson, King of Division, Richard G. Guthrie Straw, author, I was about to say author of We Were Like Sons. Guthrie Straw did not Guthrie author your new book. We Were Like Sons. He has authored a few things. I'm sure we just don't know them yet. Aaron Green is the author of We Were Like Sons and founder of The Regrainery. Campsite, Mac Norse David, Nathan Poulton. Rory in Michigan, Jeremy Kitchen, David Belay. Tim Coleman, Harry Hugel, E.J. Finneran. Brad Hipwell, Thomas Gato, Keith Hutchinson. Ranger Tom, Joyce Wilson, Ryan Tam. Jason Oftenberg, Microcosm Publishing, David Moore. Todd Grosbeck, Chris Barron, Chris Barron, Chris, Chris Barron. Sean Baird, Simon Pace, Gregory Braithwaite. Ryan Morrow, Dude Luna, Matthew Rooks. Kaka! Marshall, Paulette Funitake, Cyclecraft. Philip M. Spartandale, no, no relation. relation. Mr. T, who never really left, Bike Initiative Keweenaw, Sarah G. Adam D, go dig a hole, Beth Harmon. Oh, Beth Heyman. Hammond. Sorry, sorry. Hammond. That's all right. Greg Murphy, Myra Martinez, Oso. Isaac M, David Christensen, 503. Byron Patterson, Kirsten Graham, Aaron G, Rachel Moline. And a continued welcome back to our newest and returning donor, Jimmy Diesel. Jimmy Diesel! And all of our former donors who helped us get this far. Now wash your hands. And wear your mask. Right on. All right.